When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's March 7th, 1827, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. When you were a kid, there was one scenario in particular that you were warned about during school assemblies. The stranger at the school gate who says, get in the car, I'm a friend of your mum's and she's asked me to pick you up. Well, those assemblies probably weren't a thing in 1827, which is possibly how 15-year-old heiress Ellen Turner became the victim of an audacious abduction today in history by a would-be suitor determined to make her his wife. Yeah, so this girl was the daughter of a very wealthy silk merchant from Macclesfield called William Turner. You know, pretty establishment, pretty well-known locally, but not exactly a national figure. And therefore he had the means to send her to this very elite boarding school for girls in Liverpool, the kind of place that you would imagine your child would very much not be abducted from. Um, But she was, in the end, handed over freely, uh, albeit unknowingly, to her abductor by the headmistress of the school, into the clutches of the man who would later marry her, Edward Gibbon Wakefield. Okay, so a little bit about Wakefield then. He was born in 1796 in London and had a kind of less than illustrious education and had been either withdrawn or removed from a number of schools. Uh, But he'd entered the diplomatic service in 1814 at the age of 18 and then travelled around Europe fairly extensively. But what's interesting about him is that he has previous on marrying young, wealthy women because prior Mm. to dreaming up this whole scheme that we're about to take you on a journey, with, he'd actually fallen in love and eloped with a a 16-year-old heiress called Eliza Pattle, who was a ward of the Chancery, uh, basically a ward of the state, and he managed to persuade the Lord Chancellor to consent to this union and achieved one of the most generous Chancery settlements ever made to a ward's husband. So he made a lot of money out of this union. 70 grand. Yeah. Which was partly, and this is his MO, to avoid the scandal of the fact that these wealthy people's daughters had married so early and someone no one had heard of. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't avoid that the nefarious heart of the scheme, it's not just about marrying someone for their money, is that it was essentially a form of blackmail, mm. relying on either deflowering the target or at least being able to create the plausible possibility that illicit sex had taken place, mm. even if it's it hadn't. Slut-shaming. Mm. Yeah, like, even, right. even the appearance of having had sex was enough. You know, even being yeah. alone with a man in a carriage was enough to ruin you in respectable eyes. Yeah. So these wealthy families would part with huge sums to smooth over the incident by consenting to the marriage, which would avoid the scandal of having a ruined daughter. So it was really extortion. But at least in the case of Pattle, she was 16, but he was only 19. It looks like they probably would have stayed married were it not for the fact that sadly she died four years later in childbirth. What's sinister is that he then thinks, oh, I can use that blueprint again. I'm a bit short of cash now. Let's just find another 16-year-old. But by this point, 
He's 30. And even though he'd got immensely wealthy out of this uh, first coupling, he had found ways to spend quite a lot of this money and still had ambitions to enter Parliament, but found himself needing more capital. And that was kind of how he came to this moment of dreaming up what is, it has to be said, an ingenious but slightly harebrained scheme. Yeah, he worked on this with his brother William, who was actually his accomplice, and also their stepmother. And the stepmother was the one who kind of helped him to settle on Ellen Turner as a target. Both families, the Wakefields and the Turners, came from the same general area. And, you know, as sort of minor gentry, they would all have known each other. But his stepmother apparently had a mutual friend with Ellen's mother, Mrs Turner, which she used to pump her connections for as much information as possible about the family. That's how they found out that she was away in Liverpool at school at at the Mrs Dolby's school. It was run by five sisters. And so on this day, he sent a carriage to the school with his servant, who was a Frenchman called Edward Teveneau. He told the Mrs. Dolby that he was there to collect Ellen as her mother was very sick. Mrs. Turner had indeed been unwell for some time, which obviously Wakefield's stepmother knew. So the story was very plausible. And although they were a little bit reluctant to turn her into the hands of a stranger, you know, he had a note that seemed convincing. He had a doctor's note, Mm. didn't he? I mean... Anyone can do that, but it was a gullible time. (laughs) But like a guy who clearly is a servant with a posh French accent, Mm. turning up in a nice carriage with a doctor's note, with intel on the mother who's unwell... Like, why would you make that up? It seems completely plausible, doesn't it? Which is why it's strange that the story has to change by the time she's then brought to this inn in Manchester where she meets up with Wakefield. Uh, And Turner at this stage is told that her mum isn't sick, but her father is in serious financial difficulty and wants to see her immediately. I mean, maybe that's maybe the story needed to change, I guess, because Wakefield then wants to take her further north up to Scotland. And so he needed a plausible further story. But at this stage, at least, Turner was convinced. She uh, later said, I was told and believed that I was to go to Manchester where I would meet my papa and from there to Shrigley. So Shrigley is the estate that her father owned. And what Wakefield tells her is that his uncle is a rich banker from Kendall who has loaned 60 grand to her father to secure the future of Shrigley because her father is on the brink of financial ruin. And we had to tell you this lie about your mum because we had to get you out of the school and we don't want to shame your reputation. Mm. And specifically, Wakefield told her that her father's creditors were willing to let him keep part of his fortune by transferring it to Ellen, but on the condition that she was married to a respectable man. Luckily enough, here's Wakefield, the so-called respectable man, to help you out. So they headed then to Carlisle, where Ellen had been told her father was waiting for her, that he had fled there. And there they met instead Edward's brother, William, who said that, oh, I've actually just met Mr Turner, but he had to go again but he said that he gives consent to this marriage. You know, but this time, Ellen is obviously extremely distraught and bewildered. And tired. Mm. Yeah. In the middle of the night, she's been told her mum's about to die, then her dad's in financial <laughs> ruin, then she's been traipsed halfway across the country what? in a horse and, and carriage. She's alone with this strange man, multiple strange men. Yeah. yeah, she's probably never been alone with a man that wasn't, you know, a relative or a family friend, at least. So, yeah. you know, you can see how she would go along with all of this, just sort of caught up in the moment and probably scared of what might happen to her if she well, didn't. Exactly. What choice does she have but to go along with it? Yeah. And then from Carlisle, they went across the border to Gretna Green, which is very famous as being the place in Scotland where people would historically go to get married if they were unable to do so in England. There was a law in England that prevented couples from getting married under the age of 21 without their parents' consent. So if you wanted to get married and you were under 21 and you didn't have your parents' consent, then Gretna Green was the place to go. He actually pulled this stunt on her where he arranged for a apparent stranger to approach them with a message telling them that Mr Turner had gone to France. So they had to follow him. You made it look like it was 
was just someone coming to give them the news. Obviously, they were in league with Wakefield the whole time, but was obviously convincing to Ellen. And in the meantime, he had also sent the Turner family a letter detailing the marriage, you know, a vital part of the scheme. And he probably assumed that they would go along quietly as his first wife's family had. But instead, Ellen's uncle rushed to Calais after them with a solicitor and a policeman in tow, where they discovered them staying at a hotel where they must have feared the worst. But it turned out that Ellen was unharmed. They had slept separately since the marriage. Um, There was a sensational trial. All the newspapers got very excited by it. In the end, the brothers each served a three-year sentence, and you'll never guess what they did next. We'll come to that in a minute. (laughs) But in the meantime, they were still married. So actually, even when he was in prison, Wakefield was the heir to Shrigley. Mm. The House of Lords had to be involved because there was no other way to get a divorce than by royal assent. So on the 14th of June, 1828, after 15 months of marriage... Finally, the House of Lords said, yes, we think this marriage should be dissolved. And again, that speaks to Turner's influence, I think, as well as the notoriety of the case, that he was able to push that through through his influential friends. I mean, someone else who was abducted into marriage wouldn't have been able to persuade the House of Lords to discuss it. And as for Wakefield, while serving in Newgate... <laughs> you I mean, he, guess what? I mean, he this began <laughs> building a new public persona. He started writing and releasing pamphlets on various political issues of the day, including prison reform. You can see how he would have landed in... In jail and thought, oh, this mm. sucks, I'm going to write about it. But also the colonial project going on in Australia, New Zealand, Canada at the time, which became his passion, which actually, if you think about it, makes sense, because it's basically the same scam, right? Grab what you want without concern mm. and just start <laughs> acting as if it's yours yeah. and hope that everyone else just falls into line. And in the 1830s, he set up the New Zealand Company, which was a major commercial enterprise designed to organise settlement in New Zealand and turn a profit for investors. And then, when the British government handed over power to a settler parliament in 1852, Wakefield was consulted on the New Zealand constitution, travelled to Wellington, and was elected as Member of Parliament for the Hutt Valley, which is what he always wanted was to be an MP, which just goes to show everyone, keep your eyes on the prize, work hard, and you can be whatever you want to be. (laughs) Tomorrow. Red. This is the Zodiac. The 12 signs will die when the belts in the heavens are seen. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.